There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine this. You're stranded on an island forever. But don't freak out because you get to bring one dish with you. Your desert island dish. What is it? Every week, your hosts, Paul and Tegan, that's us. Hello. Hello. We'll ask this question. They'll chat with and torment a literal raft of guests on the island who'll dish up stories, gossip, and culinary secrets. But they all have one big thing in common. They bloody love food. Welcome to Dish. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dish. I'm Paul Verhoeven. And I'm Tegan Higginbotham. Good morning, everybody, or good evening, or good afternoon. I don't know where you are. I hope you're good, though. And time doesn't really apply here because we're in a magnetic, <laughs> weird, like a weird fault line. Anyway. We're on the floating islands. They have a name now. I don't, still don't know. I mean, look, Julia's suggestion was fantastic. It was, but I honestly feel that everyone... You can call it what you want. It's an island of requirement. You Great. Know? Well, I'm calling it the Floating Islands. Okay, and I'm calling it Please Get Me Out of Here. I think I've got dysentery. Now, this week on Dish, uh, we are speaking with a musician, which got me thinking, Tegan, I've been trying to roll this question around in my head all morning, and I need to ask you, what was the first album you bought? That is a lovely question, Paul, because it actually brings back quite a few memories for me. Mm. And I have a strange answer because I didn't get one album as my first album. I got three. Okay, so I started working when I was really, really young. In the I, mines? Like, <laughs> I was in the mines. In the salt mines. <laughs> no, I was working at this ice cream shop called Wendy's. I think I started there, I think it was before 12. It was illegal. I shouldn't have been working yet, so I had to get paid in cash. Can you be retroactively uh, like punished for this? <laughs> I hope not. I hope my boss would, though. He was horrible. His name was James. So I started working, and I started squirreling away money from a really young age. Yep, yep. I wanted savings. So for ages, I didn't actually go out and buy myself anything until I was at JB Hi-Fi one day. Uh-huh. JB Hi-Fi and Dandenong, and they had a special going on where you could get three CDs, three albums, yep. for $30. Okay, and this is you spent your own money that you earned... Yes, this was my hard-earned Wendy's money, and I got Robbie Williams' Sing When You're Winning, Mm -hmm. excellent album, Yeah, Kylie Minogue's Impossible Princess, Okay, also an excellent album, (laughs) and I got Savage Garden's second album, Affirmation. So these were my first three albums. Yeah. I stand by all of those choices to this day. Okay. But there is one that was my favourite. Okay, so obviously using basic deductive reasoning, it's Savage Garden. I loved Savage Garden. I still do. And this in particular, I got this album because of the song, The Animal Song, Mm -hmm. or The Cannibal Song, or The (laughs) Cannibal Song, whichever lyrics you want. It's one of those wonderful pick and mix sort of songs. Yeah. But I remember in the film clip, it was Darren, and he had this... um, this this incredibly hot suit on and he had this kind of shirt uh, and tie slightly undone thing. It was very come to bed. It was very hot and I just went, I want a bit of that in my ears. But what's weird is that at that point, because I'm, I'm you know, like five years older than you, right? Yeah. So at that point in my teens, I was going through this weird phase. Not even a weird phase. I was very alt, right? So not, <laughs> I wasn't alt, right. I was alt, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ. So... <laughs> 
yeah, I was a real piece of shit. No. Basically, uh, at this point, Nirvana, I think Kurt Cobain had just uh, died by suicide and I was big into Nirvana. I was big into Soundgarden. And the first thing I bought with my own money was a cassette single for a song called Everybody on the Floor by a group called Tokyo Ghetto Pussy. Because at that point... <laughs> Like EDM was getting really big. So I was into like weird esoteric shit. And then, you know, but I did go through this kind of interesting phase many years later. The first year we started going out, I finally got over myself and got into pop music. And uh, I think the first pop album I bought for myself was Beyonce's Lemonade, right? And sure enough, it's great. It's like very, it's like confectionery, right? It's amazing. So when you say the first album you bought was a Savage Garden album, my initial response is, yeah, but... <laughs> But my, but my actual reaction is now, retroactively, that's fantastic because I have this newfound appreciation for pop music, right? Do you know what I've learned in this conversation, Paul? What? We would not have been friends. No, we wouldn't have gotten along at all. Come on, I was like on Triple J for years. I'm like a Mr. Artsy hipster fop. Like, I am not <laughs> a pop music guy. It turns out now, though, actually, I mean, because I'm big into Japanese city pop, right? Mm. It's like, the, it's the genre of music I care the most about. So what I've discovered over the past few years is that when you get over yourself and just enjoy pop music, life gets exponentially better, which is why today's guest is such a goddamn ray of sunshine for us. So this week's guest is one of Australia's greatest singer-songwriters, the frontman of Savage Garden, accomplished soloist and aria winner. He is, and I know we say this a lot, but this time we really mean it, a national treasure. He will fly <laughs> you to the moon and back, but until then, he's stuck here with us. It's Darren Hayes. Hello and welcome to the island, Darren. Uh, how did you get here exactly? Because everyone has a different means of conveyance and we are curious as to how you got here. Somebody gave me a cocktail. Mm. That, and was, that was me. So sorry. Tegan, I just remember somebody, it wasn't Tegan, somebody dressed like Tegan. It could have just been a, a coconut on a stick with a wig. <laughs> sure. Gave me a cocktail <laughs> And the theme music from The White Lotus was playing. <laughs> Something like that was happening. And I just Great. took the cocktail. The next thing I knew, I woke up and my butt was bleeding. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Actually, you know what's funny is we actually gave you something like rocket fuel that propelled you here. Your unconscious body was basically shot here like a cannon. Yeah. Is yeah. this linked to his butt? No, I'm saying that the expulsion of, you know, of flames and like <laughs> red hot heat. Actually, you see what I mean? Yeah. The problem is, of course, we had to find a way to aim you. Otherwise, it'd be like letting me out of a balloon. Can I so. clarify something, though? My butt has been bleeding for two weeks. That has nothing to do with the drink or the, the mode of transport or what happened to me. I just want to admit for that. I haven't been eating a lot of fibre. Oh. Right. Well, okay. Look, I was going to ask about your health kick, and I was finding all these other, you know, typical segues. Yeah. My butt's been bleeding for two weeks, though. That is one hell of a way to get into your health kick, because you are. You've gone uber healthy. I have, because I was uber... Chubulata. Yes. <laughs> I am the John Travolta of pop, and I mean that in all the ways. Every one of them. You own a plane as well, I hope? No, actually, I don't. I guess not all the ways. What I mean is uh, I get very large in between projects, and let's just say Mama hadn't done anything for 10 years. Ah, okay, okay. So this is sort of like a, is this like a renaissance for you? Are you? Do you have something else where you kind of want to be match fit, or are you just kind of sitting there going, like, I just want to kind of change things up? No, it really was that uh, it's probably the worst kept secret in the world that I'm getting ready to kind of get back in the ring, so... I know. Oh, God, there goes my butt again. But <laughs> the point is, yeah, I... it. To be honest, it really started because 
I went to the doctor just to have my annual physical, you know, and I've always been somebody. Now, I don't look like Paul. Okay. I've never been someone who's naturally thin and gorgeous. I've always just well, been. Well, he's got his karate body now. So, you know, oh. this is karate, Paul. I, what is that? Oh, it's weird, man. It's, it's weird. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I do have a sort of odd willowy body, but, you know, I also have a very big head. I am lopsided. Yeah, I am, you fall I... down a lot. Just topple. <laughs> <laughs> you, you say you went to get your annual physical, which, by the way, is such an American thing that I only learned about recently. Everybody in America, you go and get an annual physical. Yes, that's so true. I think that's because healthcare here is just so terrible. And the only reason they do it is they just try to work out when they can drop you from insurance. <laughs> Right, so it's really it's really about them, not about you. Oh, totally. It's just like, oh, you have this, you you have something that's incurable and expensive. We just realised we can't insure you anymore. But basically, once I hit forty, so I'll be fifty next year. But once I hit forty, things started to change metabolically, where people tell you this and you think it'll never happen to you, but you look at an apple and you gain weight. So I was like, what is going on? And I. I they did my blood work and for the first time ever I had strange cholesterol like high cholesterol. Oh. Yeah, and I was like there's there is no way. There's no way guys like what? And yeah, for real. They were like yeah, you need to lose weight and you need to th- to do this and that. Now I was in denial because I didn't realize that my face no longer had cheekbones. You're a cheekbony guy. I've stared at a lot of photos of you. There's there's that Aww. cheekbone thing going on. And that's the thing. It's so annoying because the minute I put on weight, my cheekbones disappear. The minute I lose weight, the last things to appear are the cheekbones. So I virtually ah. have to be, yeah, they come back at the very end just to go, ta-da, we're here. Can I say though, I, 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 I am, <laughs> we're back. Uh, I, I heard you talking about this a little bit on your Instagram and yep. um, you were really open about the fact that there there are all of these pressures in your industry, of mm-hmm. course. I mean, there are just pressures in so many of these forward-facing industries. But you're just really doing it for this health, I think, health first. And I think that's so wonderful. I'm trying to really love the body that I'm in now. I think that um, the truth is, all jokes aside, I, I said this on that Instagram live, I was a kid who could never really take his shirt off at the pool. And I think a lot of men now are more open about talking about body image and body shaming and and eating disorders and things. Um, I probably have had eating disorders, but we never really spoke about them as men. I definitely have binged eat eaten. I've had I've been someone whose relationship with food has always been um, a, a gluttonous kind of punishing relationship where I adore food. I love food. And yet I also would punish myself through denying food. Um, So I would go through phases where I would, I'm not bulimic because I've never made myself get rid of the food, but I definitely have gone through phases in my life where I have I've been a binge eater and then all of that guilt and that shame that comes along with it. And so those periods of my life where I have been overweight in the public eye, a lot of that has been steeped in low self-esteem, in body image, in being a kid that even from the age of nine or even younger, I was teased, you know, about having boobs or about having a chubby belly or just that. But that's just who I was as a kid. Like, you know, I look back now, I have a, I just spent the day with my, my goddaughter. She's almost five. And I'm so aware, like I'm a, I was a trained preschool teacher and, you know, I spend time with this little person. And so I'm very aware of the language um, that I surround little people with and I make sure that the praise that I give her is always um, 
value-based. You know, it's never about looks, it's about achievements, it's about intention, all that sort of stuff. And yet the way that I speak to myself in my life, uh, even today, and the way that I had grown up, it was never like that. And it is sad to admit that, but that is that is the truth about, about the body. So where I'm at now is is very much like, look, I'm glad that a doctor said you have a health reason in order to do this because it isn't vanity. And the truth is, look, 10 years ago, I was impossibly thin, the thinnest I ever was, and I was miserable. And I'll never be that thin again. And I never want to be that thin again because I was I was miserable. Uh, now I just feel healthy. Can I ask, you? do you think that we're at a point now where – kids who are growing up, you know, whether they're five or whether they're eight or nine or 10 or whatever, that they are going to have a better foundation for this relationship with food. Because like you, uh, I went through a phase where I really, really struggled with food and it's, it's a relationship I still have to work on. And I'm 33 and, you know, you're turning 50 next year and you're still working on this mm-hmm. relationship. The messages that were pumped into us when we were little, these have clearly stuck around. These were damaging thoughts because we're having trouble shaking them and we're, you know, mature adults now. Mm. Do you feel positive that kids are going to be in a better place with that or are you worried that it's it's going to be even harder for them? I do because I think there are people like you who are role models for young people and I think so there's a whole generation of people younger than me who are aware of that stuff. So mm. people your age are now raising children and the way that we speak to kids these days, it's it's so positive. Like today, the lunch that I had with my goddaughter was, it blew my mind. Like I, I, I have trouble with portion control, right? But for her, you know, it's like she had a bag of pretzels and some watermelon mm-hmm. as some snacks that she could eat in the afternoon. And I was just blown away that she had the ability to just have a couple of them. <laughs> like for me, it would just be like all the carbs, all the sugar. But nothing in her life is forbidden, you know, that language of like good food, bad food or whatever. It's the, Food is just sustenance. There are sometimes foods. There are everyday foods. You know, it's that way of thinking and that psychology of thinking is just kind of a part of our everyday life today. And I'm not trying to do a free advert for Noom or any of those people, but I do love this new psychology behind wellness. Um you know, I'm not about to stick a jade egg in my vagina, but there is something. Well, never say never. <laughs> exactly. But there is something about really understanding what you said about that, uh, you know, that, that psychological connection that we make with food, because it really is, that's our first emotional relationship. Yeah, it's, you know, yeah. it is so nurturing and it's so sacred and, and emotional. You know, the person who is keeping us alive, our first bond is with somebody that keeps us safe by feeding us and letting us know that, that we're okay. You know, so what, what does that feel like when you're young? You're, you're held and you're fed. So you have a need. There's a hunger, somebody fulfills that need for you, and you're held and kept warm and kept safe. Later on, I'm sure we'll talk about food and and whatever, but my favorite foods and my associations with food, they still, they relate back to those primal feelings of safety, comfort, um, love. It's why food programs, why we relate to them so much, because like music and uh, like 
fragrances. They're these three things, like a song, a meal, a fragrance. They have the ability to kind of transport you back to an emotional state. Mm. And, and Absolutely. yeah, and I and I and I think now that we understand the, um, the connection there, we can try to. I, I think we can try to make more positive. Um, connections to food um, as opposed to um, maybe some of the unconscious ones that we used to make when we were younger. What do you think that, because uh, that, that's a very interesting thesis and I completely agree, but what do you think, how do you apply that to people whose favorite meal is like eating bread from the bag or <laughs> dipping <laughs> dipping cabanossi in, in hummus? Like, do you think that there is a that it's just the broad umbrella of, you know, hot food served by someone who loves you? Or do you think that a specific meal served at a specific time can have a, like, a very direct, non-obscure impact on your life? Like, is there a specific meal you were served as a kid that you now subliminally crave? Yeah, well, first of all, the first thing you said, I, don't, I think there's nothing wrong with describing uh, eating bread out of a bag as as a meal. I think that, no, for real, I mean... There are whole films based on this. There's whole cliches about going to a, a, a bakery when it first opens and that smell of a bakery or the, these are visceral sensations. I have, mem- you know, you've brought up images in my mind already about that feeling. There's something so comforting and, and amazing about that because um, so not to discount that at all. You know, eating Nutella straight out of the jar with your with your fist. If, <laughs> if you can fit your fist in it, those jars are not that big. You can though. get big ones. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think first of all, we 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 are. Look, I don't want to get super jade eggy here, but I my sure. theory on being human is that it is such a luxury that we get to inhabit this essentially the sack of meat. Right? We are sentience we are electricity and magic and thought that for 70 to 100 years if we're lucky we get to just inhabit and animate this kind of awkward shell of muscle and meat right where we get to experience this organic interpretation of life you know atoms of light, particles pass through the optic nerve and um, sensations are interpreted through the skin and our taste buds get to experience things and we get to have sex and listen to music and all of these things that are purely the physical, right? So I'm never going to say to anybody, don't have that bag of bread or that one cigarette or that whatever, you know, I I do believe a life is is meant to be lived, and also that there is that uh, the the bargain that you make in terms of it's almost like a, a balancing your budget. You know, you 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 think, well, how many days do I can I have a cigar? How many days can I? I don't smoke, by the way, but I'm just using that as an example of like something something yeah. that might be considered, uh, you know, generally considered probably not good for you, but. I know plenty of people who are really, really healthy that would occasionally have a cigar, right? Um, because it's a pleasurable thing to do when you're alive. Um, to answer the other question about uh, a meal that I I remember that brings back pleasure, you know what it is? It's the 80s. It's Australia. It's called a quiche Lorraine. It's frozen. Yes. Right? My yeah. my mum is working the night shift at uh, Bethesda 
uh, old age nursing home. That's the really non-PC way of describing it. I can't remember what it was called, but uh, it was a, it was a home for the elderly, and she was the most. Uh, she had so much empathy. She was an amazing, amazing caretaker, and she would work the night shifts. And when I was a little kid, uh, I've been very public about this, but you know, I had a very turbulent, violent childhood. My dad was an alcoholic. He was violent. He used to beat my mother up. She was my everything. And my earliest memories of her leaving were so, so traumatic. But as I got older and as he stopped beating the, the shit out of her, she became my best friend. So when my best friend would leave for night shifts, I'd be left at home with this dry, angry drunk who I never really wanted to be with. But occasionally when God walked through the room, he would go away to sea. He, he was a merchant sailor and he would go away for three months at a time. And those three months at a time were amazing. It was just me, my brother and my sister, and we parented ourselves, you know, and when my mum my worked night shifts, a real treat because we were very, we weren't, you know, in poverty, but we were poor, but a real treat would be she'd buy like a quiche Lorraine and it would, she, you know, we, that, we would put one of those in the oven and we would have that and it seemed like the most, like, oh, rich person. I felt like I was the Drummonds, you know, <laughs> different strokes it takes, but it would be like, we would have a quiche Lorraine as this special treat. And it was this loving thing my mum did, partly based out of guilt, out of love. But she'd go and buy this expensive thing from Coles. And it was for us because she had to work and she felt guilty. And I remember the smell of it, the burning pastry, um, the spinach, the the cheese. And I hate spinach. <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a meal that makes me, you know, I know that uh, MASH is going to be on TV uh, I know everything's going to be okay. Yeah, you know it's so heavy. You you've brought back a lot for me as well. That that feeling of when your your parents. I, I my it was a very happy household for me. So I, I have to say that it wasn't. Um, I didn't have to deal with what you did, which just sounds absolutely horrifying. But there wasn't always a lot of money mm-hmm. at times. Yeah, and that dish that you you know that your mum has worked so hard to put on the table, and now you reflect back, and you know we're very comfortable, and it's it's it's. It's, it wasn't fancy food, but back then mm-hmm. it was just such a gift from your mom or your dad or whoever. And it's, you're right, it's such an important memory and, and it's a very warming thought. And very similarly, we, um, my mum used to volunteer in the canteen at our primary school oh. and they would have these giant slabs of the Sara Lee frozen cakes. Oh, like the ban- they have a banana cake. There was a banana oh cake. It was this particular banana oh. cake. It's got the kind of, it's got the slight, it's got the kind of, of the waves on top, like corrugated iron almost. It's got this up and down. Yes. It is exactly that cake. Yeah. And occasionally if, if all of the cake wasn't sold and I think it was sold for something like 50 cents a slice, mm. If all of it wasn't sold, she'd get to bring some home. And likewise, we were like, oh, my God, we're getting the cake. That's a really cake. Seriously, that almost made me cry. I completely know what you mean. And, you know, it's funny. That was the brand of the quiche. That's why it was expensive because it was Sara Lee and it wasn't home brand. No, it was the good one. It's several notches up. It's so weird that you guys are talking about this because we were (laughs) – we lived – we didn't have much money either and we lived on the – on the property of an Anglican girls' school uh, in on the northern beaches, and we were the caretakers. And at the end of every day, mum and dad, as the sun was setting, would get the big ring of keys and go and check every door in this like multi-tiered rich person school was locked. And occasionally, mum would bring me and my sister Anne, and she would check the tuck shop, and then 
once, I think, a year, she would unlock it, let us in, and then turn on that heater. You know, um, so we'd, we'd get a strawberry oak milk, which she would straight <gasps> up steal. Fancy, yeah. fancy. Oh, yeah. Oak milk, yes. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then we could have... And now, what, what were your go-to tuck shop foods? Because I know that um, everyone has a different one. We would have these, like, you know, those kind of sausage rolls that were kind of, like, limp because they were heated <laughs> in a microwave. Yeah. Wrapped in a paper or a chico roll or something like that. We had um carob buds, but yeah, just having my mum who didn't have much money basically stealing rich people's children's lunches. I just love that. Hooking us up. So yeah. I couldn't really afford tuck shop, meaning I couldn't afford tuck shop until mm. uh, until I was in uh, high school and I had my own job. I got my first job when I was thirteen, which was illegal. Me too. What was yours? I was a milk boy. Hey, of course you were. Ding ding. <laughs> Uh, look, That's great. Looking back, I had a massive crush on the milkman as well, which was such a cliche. It was <laughs> such an inappropriate relationship. It was, it, well, it could have been a French film, really. Oh yeah, it's very, it's very romantic if it's French. Also, milkman is a wonderful euphemism for the penis. I know. So I, I want someone to translate the milk boy into French. I know it's le lait. Uh, what is boy in French? Garçon. Garçon. <laughs> le lait garçon. Le, <laughs> le garçon le, le lait. Le garçon lait. <laughs> Excusez-moi, les garçons laids. J'adore. Oh my god, just just longing glances of a young Daryl Haynes just staring at the uh, staring at the milkman. But I, I guess it's just because he had facial hair. But anyway, he would pay me a dollar an hour, and it was uh, a thirteen-hour shift, so I got a lot of money. Bloody hell! Yeah, but I also got Pauls. I don't know if you guys had that in Victoria, but yeah. Okay, we got a Pauls Shakes. It was called S. H A Y K S because it was the eighties and great right and you shook it up and it got now everyone get your minds out of the gutter it got real thick and creamy (laughs) (laughs) but it was le garçon le creamy (laughs) la creme and it was uh, part of my payment which he took off. By the way, he charged me for this, but no, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Bastard. But um, what my my so I ha- used that money when I would go to the tuck shop. And Paul, to answer your question, I would buy a rat, a very large gel rat, uh, gummy rat, I guess you'd call. Yes, it. right, right. I I know the type. So like big tail. It's kind of like so they have killer pythons. I say killer now. rat. I haven't been to a- yeah. Yeah, yeah, just a big rat. Yeah, that's the first fight I ever got into in school, by the way, because I used to get bu- bullied a lot and, you know, called all the homophobic names you can imagine. But the thing was, I got bullied a lot too because I was very reactive and I was quite a large kid. So they used to like seeing me react. I'd go red and I'd get whatever, and I wasn't a wallflower, so I would kind of react. And um, this one kid called Jai, he was a scrawny little shit, and um, he... He thought because he hung around with all the big, the big tough kids, and some of them who did actually beat me up. But he thought this one day I had my hands full, right, with uh, all my tuck shop goodies, and he thought he would take the tail from my rat without consequence. And boy, there was consequence. We got into it. We got into this scrap, and it was my first fight at school. Because what he did was uh, he did that thing where you'd be familiar with this. Paul being a karate kid uh, aficionado. <laughs> he, Sweet the leg. He, well, what he tried to do is get me to flinch, and he did it three times. So he did like a, mm. he tried to swing at me to get me to flinch, and he humiliated me two times. And on the third time, that was it. I just let loose. So I just, we got into it and we we're fighting and whatever. And I just remember we were being torn apart and me screaming, He stole my rat! And uh, <laughs> I got the cane. 
which because we had uh, we had corporal punishment. I got the cane for fighting at school. Um, and then all these years later, I remember being I was driving myself actually to the Brisbane Entertainment Center, and it was for the first of two sold out uh, Savage Garden shows. This I'm I'm spoiling the story because it was Jai who was behind me, but th- he was behind me flashing his lights. I thought it was the uh, the cops, and just I didn't even think right. Someone was flashing their lights to to pull over, and I I was just so petrified, thinking, Oh my god, I'm I'm going to get a speeding ticket on my way to my show. So I pulled over. It was Jai fucking Brown, and uh, he pulled over and he was like, Darren, it's Jai, <laughs> and I'm thinking. <laughs> Yeah, and and he's like, hey man, I just want to say I'm just so proud of you for everything that you've done. Like you're amazing. I'm just oh, wow. I'm so excited. I'm coming to the show tonight. I was like, great. What? This is amazing. I got back in my car, drove to the show, and he was in the front row screaming like all the teenagers, oh. screaming for me, like screaming like I did for Michael Jackson. And I was just thinking, it's interesting how the rat turns. You motherfucker. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is you probably like you probably survived that fight because you had spent so many years just downing full cream milk thanks Thank to Mr. You. Milkman. You had, I had, the- had these but these pervious diamond bones. Thank you. Thighs of steel. Yep. <laughs> Cheekbones could cut glass. I just I find it so interesting that first of all, it's a really interesting phenomenon and uh, Tegan, I don't know if you get Yeah, in fact Tegan, you do do this. What everyone do do? everyone who's been bullied, Darren Tegan, remembers the full names of their bullies. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. But you know what? It is true. It's funny because all of us, I'm just going to say it because we're in a room full of three of us, the coolest people got bullied. It just is the case. And I always say this to anyone of any difference whatsoever. So obviously the three of us are talking and we're very privileged. We have carved out unique spaces in our lives for the talents and the nerdiness and the weirdness that we have. And thankfully, like nerdiness has become a quality that gets celebrated and there are plenty, there are plenty of uh, differences that don't get celebrated. But what I really take um, comfort in, and I try to remind everyone this is that your difference, the thing that makes you a target is the thing that makes you really special and unique. And, and it's painful and being bullied sucks. Um, But as we all know, that microcosm, that strange Lord of the Flies eco system that maybe you're operating on this strange little sex island that you're operating here. Wasn't a sex island before, but now you're here. Thank okay. you. Um, the trail of blood all the way up the beach. Very confusing. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, what is that? What that is, is that? Why does that? Yeah, anyway. Um, but it's just, it only exists in high school. And it's kind of a really good indicator for who's going to be successful afterwards, I think, is the bullying factor. So if anyone's listening that is younger than us, that does get bullied, do take comfort that almost everyone I know that was bullied ends up being freaking. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Awesome. It does create a kind of um, 
It's like an origin story, right? You have to go through this stuff to kind of accrue some flavor. I mean, I didn't mean to tie it back like to food, but did you find... And I wanted to get back to this just quickly. No, it's like, it's you, like caramelization. It is caramelization. Yeah. Cruel, painful caramelization. But in terms of the, the quiche that you mentioned before yeah. and uh, you know the, these dishes we've all talked about that kind of brought us comfort as kids... Have you gone back and on a low day grabbed a Sara Lee quiche and heated it up and kind of tra- traveled back in time using food? Um, I am a time traveler. I I, tra- I travel in time all the time. So yes, I'm trying to think of food that I do that with um, on the regular. Um, well, I'm kind of spoiling a little. I do it with cereal. Cere- oh, nice. Yeah, cereal's a big one for me. Um, there are scents in cereal that. Um, I've been trying to identify for the longest time. Like, let me ask you guys this question: What do you think mm. the flavor profile of Fruit Loops is? That's a good question, and I like these. It's like when somebody pointed out that Coca Cola is cinnamon and lemon, and you go, "Oh my god, it is!" Or that Rainbow Paddle Pops are just caramel. They're flavored. just caramel. Yeah. Um, but Fruit Loops. You see, what's here's an interesting thing. I've not had many of them because that was one of the cereals that we weren't allowed, and it was a bit spicy when we were little. But I have tried them a couple of times. It's not fr- it's for me it's less about fruit Darren it's more about the, the texture they have this like crust on on top of the yeah. of the loop There's what a frosting. Are you, what's your hypothesis what do you think they are Um well it, it it's it's kind of a lemony it's actually more lemon it's like a lemony um limey it it isn't when you think of fruits I think of like banana mango tropical things but it isn't it's mm. kind of a yeah. it's lemony um I feel like lemon is one of the flavors that you can insert into something without it tasting that uh, without it tasting fake the easiest. You know the the fake banana taste, and you go, "Oh, that's not really what banana tastes like." But I think you can be delicate and get lemon into most foods pretty easily. Oh my god, Darren! I've just answered your question. I did the cardinal sin of googling Great. this. We do have tell me what we it have is. Google on the island. What is it? Well, here's the thing. First of all, I want to say that you have an excellent palate because you've basically nailed it. What is it? Well, it says here this is the official uh, Kellogg's website. What's not to love about the unique fruit flavors of orange, lemon, and lime? <gasps> oh my gosh, you completely wow. nailed it. Yeah, yeah, you nailed it. Yeah. Well, I'm obsessed with fragrances so like i joke about this but i've been wearing like i wear four or five different fragrances at the same time and most of them aren't like one of them's like a commercial fragrance and some of them are just like weird chemicals and things but i layer things up i'm really in another lifetime i i would have been a nose or or something but i'm obsessed with that and food has similar qualities but to answer your question paul it's musk sticks ah Love a musk stick. Right? Oh, God, so good. And, soft or hard? <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah. Soft ones. Yeah, ah. I like them a little soft. Uh, but here's the thing. No one outside of Australia understands this phenomenon. Oh, is it one of those things? People don't get it. They think we are so strange. It's like it, it, Like my husband's British. Now, Paul, you, you're basically British, right? You're you're. Your father was born in England, right? Dad spent a lot of time in England, but Tegan Tegan's mum is actually Mancunian, so Tegan's Tegan has a an occasional British accent. So as a and couple, and a British passport, it's and, got a unicorn on it. That's right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we as a couple, we do have a lot of we have a lot of British oh, DNA. I think. I think yeah. of you guys as sort of being half British, so that makes sense. But oh bless. So basically, like Richard, my husband's British, and he. Like it's like somebody put rat poison in his mouth. They just cannot understand it. Whereas they've got, they have a violet. The Brits have their equivalent, which is violet gum, you know, which is very pre 
like World War Two, it was that there was something in the twenties, thirties, and forties where people would have violet flavored gum, um, right? And my my sister is obsessed with that. But if you ever want to feel like you're in some kind of like spy noir novel, just just pick up a pack of violet gums. You can get them uh, in like online and stuff if you've still got the internet on the island. Um, but yeah. <laughs> But no one outside of no one understands the concept of musk as a flavor. They understand it as a scent, but not as mm. a flavor. But we do. But I think of it as the Aussie equivalent of rose, in the same way that uh, you know, yeah. like in 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 Turkey or uh, some um, uh, of the Middle East uses rose in uh, in sweets and things like that. But it's musk, and yeah. it takes me back to the, the shops and getting like mixed lollies and that kind of thing. Like musk is just a thing. You ever do a pick and mix? Are you a pick and mix guy? Of course I am. Please, I am. Listen, I am all about the probably full of just every germ in the world. Banana. I love a good banana. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, I love anything milk flavored. Milk. Bottles. You just cannot get your head out of the gutter, can you? You like the bananas, you like the milk bottles. I like the milk bottle. I like anything vaguely shaped like a phallus. Um, (laughs) Now, here's what is disturbing. I don't know if Australia has reckoned with this yet. I don't know Mm. what we're calling them, but I'll um, just say that they are shaped like a human and they taste like um, fudge. But Chico, the little Chico things, the little... The little babies, right? But the- sure, but I got to tell you, my husband was horrified when uh, I first told him what they used to be called and what they looked like when we first. So I'm just saying, Oprah, uh, if you're listening, um, I hope we got rid of those as well. So I don't know what they're called now. But <laughs> they're not great. They're-, they're not great. We we also I remember Arnott selling a biscuit that looked like a gollywog when I was a kid. They Did were they actually really? called that. Uh, yes, yeah. <gasps> they were called Arnott's gollywogs, and they yeah. were sh- like shocking. The, the fact that I even put them near my body is. I don't feel great. I always want to say to people, come to Australia, and then you think about this country, and you go, oh, maybe not. Yeah, no, <laughs> maybe. I, I just remember feeling every every essence of um, Harry Connick Jr.'s body when he was on Hey Hey at Saturday, and I still remember that moment and just go. Ugh. But I hope we've come a long way, right? We've come a long way. Do you know why I think we actually might have? It's it's hard because in so many ways we haven't. But um, in my household, we we listened to a lot of Harry Connick Jr. So when he came out against uh, Hey Hey It's Saturday, it was like Dad telling us off. It was it really it was this really uh, gut punch sort of feeling, and my dad just couldn't wrap his head around it. He couldn't understand what was going on. He felt betrayed by Harry. Why couldn't Harry get the joke? Now, uh, you know, we're at 2020. What year is it? I've lost all concept of time. Whatever you're in now. Um, Dad actually called me up. I can't remember. I think this was about a year ago. Out of the blue, by the way. Out of the blue. And he'd been thinking about what Harry Connick Jr. said on Hey, Hey, It's Saturday. (laughs) Oh, bless him. And he was like, I actually think that he might have a point because I think that some things aren't, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have all the words. He doesn't have all the politically correct things, you know, the language ready to use. But he clearly what Harry Connick had said had been sitting with him for all this time, and he finally got past that that protective and defensive thing that we all do. We all go, no, no, we're not racist. It's not that. Yep. And 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 was on his side. So I, I I thought that that was such an interesting moment that this this you know this guy who just lives out in the bush has been sitting there thinking about what Harry Connick Jr. said. I mean, what a powerful moment for Harry Connick Jr. Yeah, next step, let's get your dad to stop eating those biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tegan, first of all, that's such an amazing... I think you have an amazing dad. And that what's so incredible about that is, like, I think we all had a reckoning. I certainly did um, around... Well, 
Trumpism in general. And my reckoning was really understanding the difference between not being racist and being anti-racist. And I definitely had to read some books and I definitely had to shut the F up and just listen, right? And I think that the biggest um, thing I've learned to do as a white person is really understand that there's a difference between um, that our first reaction, no one wants to be called racist, but there is a difference. There's a huge difference between doing something racist and, and, and a racist behavior and having a racist ideology or having a, a, a racist belief or being being an evil person. So I think if you um, and I've had this pointed out to me in other ways, like, say, ableism, for example, or um, it could be anything when someone basically says, could you please not do, use this word? I have noticed that our first reaction or my first reaction might be defensive at first because I think it's our own self-identification. We think, but I'm a good person. So we don't want to be labeled as, as the awful thing because we think, well, hang on, but I'm a good person. And the thing is, is yeah, you are a good person and it's okay. Like we, we get part, we have to get past that stage and just be like, and just get immediately to the, oh, cool. Thanks for, thanks for telling me. I'll change that. And it is, it's, it's a step. It's a step that white people are just, are just starting to learn. And I say me, white people, hi, hello. But it's, it's here in the US, it's been a rapid fire education because really thinking this whole time that, that I've been an ally or that I've been someone that's been um, doing and saying all the right things and shutting up for a moment and listening to how how black people feel about my allyship and how some of it has just not been and received in a positive way was like it was it was eye opening and then it just became like okay I, I I need to just understand and and listen and learn and and do better without taking it personally because no one wants to you know no one wants to feel that they are this evil person but when you accept that it's entirely possible to just mess up without having any cruel intention. Oh my God, you can just, we all move on so much quicker. It's liberating, isn't it? When you go, okay, I, it's, and it's, it's really interesting because a lot of this is based on the assumption. And I think internally that, uh, People are really bad at admitting when they yes. did something wrong, yeah. and they're really and they, they and people don't know how to go. I fucked up yeah. and own their mistakes. And I noticed this a lot back in the I think like mid to late nineties. And my parents, who were at this point, we were going to church every weekend. Um, I think just mm-hmm. out of habit. And my parents just didn't. They didn't like the gay thing. They just didn't get it. They didn't support it. They didn't trust it. And then my sister and I basically spent a year of just bombarding them with very like reasonable arguments, just going like, "Why do you feel this way?" And then now they're like, they are vehemently like pro gay marriage, pro like that. We turned them basically, <laughs> and all it took was some some. It just took some yeah. education, right? It took some education from the right people, and I feel like maybe it's easier to learn these things if you know someone you know, from that walk of life or if you know someone who has got a personal stake in it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that I would hate if that's though the... It's like when Scott Morrison was talking about the fact that his wife pointed out that he had daughters and Mm. therefore he should, you know, not want women to get raped and abused. It's like, oh, I would like to think that that was in your head anyway. But it is interesting that you bring up that stuff with your parents because we have, we've all had that experience of reflecting back on the way our parents used to think. And if we're lucky, a lot of them have changed and we can now have really wonderful open conversations. But 
seeing that point of hesitation and defensiveness, I, I try to think about that when I feel defensive now and going, oh, well, that's what they went through. And I criticize them for how long it took them to just take down those walls and mm. listen. So, you know, what if this is our moment? This is our time to go, oh, right. We thought we knew all this stuff and we had all this messaging growing up. What if a lot of it was wrong? One and- of the, yeah. One of the other things I got told recently um, by a friend in the States was don't expect to be congratulated for suddenly being vaguely enlightened. <laughs> like you don't get a fucking award for doing the right thing. Just it's not a, you're not doing it for plaudits. You're doing you're just trying to, you know, quietly educate yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you're just kind of getting up to speed. That's the thing. And it is quite yeah. it is quietly mortifying, you know, because you just realize, oh, my God, all this time, you know. I didn't realize all this time I thought when I did A, B or C that you were just thinking, you know, D. Um, Tegan, you said something before too, like exactly, it's not, I think the reason the the Harry Connick Jr. thing resonates is because like any minority or victim or subculture or anybody who is the victim of of discrimination it is not their responsibility to educate you. And I think why he resonated so much was it's it's like it's our job. Like it's our job to police each other. And I think that's what's great and that's what's happening now is it's it happens with me and my, my friends. Like I've had my white male friends call each other out for like, like, hey, that's a bit racist or that's a bit homophobic or, you know, the the, the, the conversations around misogyny since Me Too have been mind-blowing. And even my own perceptions and the way I... And, and I'm really owning this. Like, the way that I have even joked or or pitted women against each other, even behind the guise of comedy or, I'm gay, I'm allowed to say... Like, it's like, no. Like, like when I really look at some of these learned behaviors or tropes or jokes that are built upon built upon built upon excuses that are that that it's like no I've really I really had to dismantle that and a lot of that came from podcasting because I was working with comedians who were one who was just so edgy to the point that I was feeling uncomfortable and I didn't know why and it was like ah this is rubbing up against my value system and I was you know and then I had to be like Okay, there is a line. I do have a line. I've got some lines in comedy here. I, I, I always thought there are no lines in comedy, but it was like, um, actually, yeah, I do have some lines. Folks, that's all we can fit in this week's episode, because guess what? We're going to make this a two-parter, Tegan. Paul, I'm you sorry. are not making it a two-parter. It's a double album, okay? It's the white album. You get to the end, you have a whole other CD of music to listen to next week. Oh, Paul. What a cliffhanger. <laughs> Are me and Darren going to get together? You're going to have to wait till next week to find out. I fucking hope not. <laughs> We're married, goddammit. No, what's interesting is, though, a lot of my favourite double albums do have this thing where you're like, what's what's your favourite? Okay, first of all, Tegan, okay. here's a question. So the White Album is two albums in one, yes. right? Which of the two is your favourite? Uh, it is clearly the first. Yes. And by... By a country mile, mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. Well, for me, it is the first as well, but 
I suspect that a lot of people are going to get a bit contentious around which of these two Darren Hayes episodes are their favorites. Because next week on the Darren Hayes White Album, or whatever you want to call it, we get Darren Hayes Desert Island Dish, and it's a doozy. Do you know the one that really divides people? Which album is best on the War of the Worlds original cast recording by Jeff Wayne? That's the one that really divides people. Yeah, people on Twitter are always talking about which of the Jeff Wayne War of the Worlds albums is better. Do you want the red weed or do you want Thunder's Child? <laughs> Not only are we going to find out what Darren's desert island dish is, and I'm going to be honest, I know, okay? This is time. You were there. I know what it is. I was there. Yeah. It's really good, and I was not expecting it at all. Mm. But we also get a little bit more detail about that that little bomb that he dropped, about a little potential comeback. Oh, what was that all about, Darren? Find out next week. It's going to be an absolutely incredible episode, and I would say you can hold your breath, but it's a whole week. You'd be dead by then. Don't so do that. Just breathe normally, and you will see us next week for the thrilling conclusion to Darren Hayes on Dish. We can't wait to see you then. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Dish Island. Dish is part of the Acast Creator Network. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.